So, do you want to pretend we've waited a week and not five minutes to record this? I've had this? a nice week, Joe. What have you been up to? I, do you know, I have been relaxing all week. Uh, work's been really, it's been a breeze. I am refreshed. Uh, I really enjoyed that mini heat wave we had. That was quite nice. That was nice. Even if the tropical storm at the end kind of caught me out, I was I was going for a run and I almost got um, struck by lightning just uh, on the prom there at Morecambe. Very scary times, indeed. Mm. A lot gone on this week. How do you feel about the war? I mean, who saw it coming? I never thought our island could be invaded. Mm, Again. (laughs) But bless them, those Paraguayans, they (laughs) took us all by surprise. (laughs) But they've been tunnelling for so long and just popped up. Through the bedrock of the sea. I know. That's ingenuity right there. Hey up. I'm Joe Heathcote, and this is Consistently Eccentric, a British history podcast where we try to make sense of some of the lesser-known and more absurd people and events these islands have produced. So let's get started with... So, our story continues on July 14th, 1698. Not yet Bastille Day, obviously, because Bastille Day hasn't happened yet. Because this is the day that the first fleet of five ships representing the Company of Scotland set sail from Leith on their mission to settle a Scottish dog... Dog. (laughs) (laughs) On their mission... Called Philip. On their mission to settle a Scottish colony on the Isthmus of Darien. They set off to great fanfare and optimism, with thousands of Scotsmen who'd probably invested at least a few pence in the scheme waving from the cliffs. However... There must also have been some level of stress amongst the leaders of the expedition, as fully half of the money available in Scotland at the time was tied up in the enterprise. Which is sailing away with half the economy. Yeah, sailing away with half the economy and a promise that they will make it work. We'll come back. It will all be fine, I'm sure. I think, because at that time, so many people leaving Europe to Mm. settle different countries. Yeah. Um, Would that be beneficial to the people that remained? Because they'd have more land I mean, opportunities. I guess, it, I guess it would be beneficial if the people had just left, like the people who were emigrating, because there'd be less competition for jobs and there'd be more space and da 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 But these guys are leaving. First of all, there's not a lot of them. There's a couple of thousand. And secondly, they're leaving with no, just fully it, half of the Not these money. guys particularly, but in general, having huge amounts of I mean, population it, just sailing away. It, it helped in some and ways to alleviate all the strong famines. people. <laughs> yeah, it helped in some ways to alleviate some of the famines, but it also absolutely decimated communities. And so there were there were pros and cons to it. I think if you've been, had to leave a country due to a famine, please let us know. How? Write to me <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> I believe I still have an Instagram account. I just haven't posted to it for a while. So. Despite having no authority, due to a few honest mistakes, see the previous episode, and only being allowed a berth on one of the ships due to the insistence of a priest, which is never a good reason to be on a ship, William Patterson... Is he sharing it with the priest? uh, He's sharing with his wife, with the priest, with the priest's wife, and with... He has a manservant. Again, I don't know where he got the manservant from. Rudy's there. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know what the manservant was called the manservant dies don't worry oh, we don't really. need to worry about him 
But William Patterson, he still saw the expedition as his baby. This was his. Even though no one else was acknowledging that it was his anymore. It was his. He knew in his heart. They'd come back to him. He therefore took it upon himself to inspect the stores of food prior to the departure and reported to the captains that, by his estimation, they did not have anywhere near enough... Shut up, William. ...for the nine months. They don't have enough. Uh, Sorry. (laughs) You just totally threw me telling me to shut up. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I feel it. That's how everybody feels about him. So he's come up and he's come, I took the liberty of uh, inspecting the stores... And I just wanted to inform you that, by my humble estimations, there will not Why be enough food kill us, man? for us to uh, complete the voyage and begin production Where's of our the own ship food there? in the new I've got him some uh, food. colony before starvation would ensue. I would suggest that we would need I to take on more supplies. I kind of want to choke you over the table. <laughs> so he, he, he told them this, and they basically went, shut up, get back to your cabin and stay there. Really, you should be down in the hold just with the wigs. That's where we want to put you. But you're, you've got your own cabin. Just stay in there. They didn't want to listen to him and his naysaying. Anyway, four days into the voyage, with the fleet still heading northward to round the tip of Britain, the captains of the five ships had a meeting. It turned out that there was not enough food in the stores to last them nine months, as they had been expecting. In fact, it turned out that they would be lucky to make six months, and that was only if they began rationing immediately. How long is the journey? Uh, well, they don't know. For they sure. don't know how long it's going to be for sure, but months. And they're four days in, and they're contemplating having to start rationing. They're still off the coast of Britain at this point. You just go back, mm. go back, refill. Mm. Now there are a few reasons why they were so woefully undersupplied. Firstly, the contracts for the food and supplies had not been given to those best placed to fill them, but had instead been given to the people who had invested the most all their friends. Sometimes these were people with no history of um, providing supplies for long sea voyages, meaning that the food was not suitably packed to withstand the conditions. Why am I thinking PPE right now? Yeah, it, it's a it tale as old as time. It's, yeah. oh, I could do that for you. Why am I thinking sewage in the rivers mm. at the moment? These things have always been and always will be. How do we stop it, Joe? Uh, I don't know. There's got to be a lesson in history with it. No, all the lessons in history are, this has always happened there's always been somebody willing to uh, pull in a favour or to um, insist that they should be allowed to do something that they have no right to do. And then other people who've gone along with it because they're mates or because they went to the right school or because they put a bribe in the right place. So so what do I do? Oh, you just suffer. Ex- you don't have any just of those connections. It. Yeah. Yeah, you, you have to just accept just it. Just buy a Brita filter. Mm. Always a wise investment. Okay. Tastes better. The problem with the um, badly packed food was exacerbated by the fact that the food had then not been stored properly in the holds. And as a result, much of the food was already spoiling. Again, this is four days in. It's just insulated by they're going, wigs. They're opening, opening the uh, door to the food stores. It's it just that. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Oh! Should the meat be green? Oh. And the green, it, the meat's stored on the top shelf. <laughs> dripping. <laughs> yeah. The raw meat dripping onto everything else. The second reason that they were low on supplies was that for the months the ships had been sat waiting for the supplies to be sourced and the settlers to be recruited, the captains had been taking the opportunity to show off how great their ships were by hosting lavish feasts on board. And naturally, they insisted on using only the best food from the stores. 
to you know show how great they were. This might have been okay if they'd done it as a one-off. So all they've got less pickle cabbage. Yeah, you know if they'd if they'd gone okay, it's the first time I'm going on my brand new ship. I want to have a feast to mark that occasion. That would have been fine. But they were doing it near nightly for months. It's like any person that they could. Oh, by the way, have you seen my new ship? Do you want to come? I'm, we could go and have a meal on it. Come on. Come on, I've got loads of stuff. Come on, we'll get drunk on my ship. Come and see my ship. Do you know, I have a ship now. I just caught myself getting angry. Yeah. Something that happened 400 years ago. Yeah. Because yeah. again, these guys who were ship captains, they were picked based on who they knew, not based upon how competent they were at sort of running, um, you know, an endeavour like this one. Something that needed a lot of planning, a lot of um, real strict kind of um, sticking to timetables, sticking to rations, sticking to all of that. They just, oh, I've got a plum job. I can call myself a ship captain now. And they wanted to show off as much as possible. Because again, they were like celebrities in Scotland at that point because they were the people who were going to bring wealth and things. They were heroes. And they were using that and leveraging it to just throw loads of parties. Spend all the money. Yeah. Yeah. But it meant that all the good food had definitely gone. There was no caviar to be had. What have we got left? You've got um, moulding bread. So it's not quite yet mouldy, but it's definitely moulding. You can cut the blue out. Yeah. Yeah. You've got, you know, bad, you've got some spoiling meat. There's not a lot. Can't call it jerky. No. Oh, God, no, because it's too slimy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Should jerky have a thin film of slime no. over it? No. Then, then it's not jerky. No. <laughs> so so they, they look at this and go, right, we've got a problem, lads, because, yeah, it was, you know, nine months we were kind of dicing with it a little bit because we wanted to make sure we had all the trade goods as well you know we were going what's the minimum we can get away with safely and now we we are a full third less than that minimum and we haven't actually left scotland technically we're still in scottish waters what do we do four days out and slippy meat it was a bit embarrassing to say the least but they were luckily still off the coast of scotland when they'd noticed this mistake and it was decided that the fleet would just put into harbour at the Orkney Isles to take on extra supplies before heading southward toward Madeira in Portugal, which was the staging post for the crossing of the Atlantic. So we're going to go south to Portugal, and then they were going to nip us straight across to the Caribbean from there. But just to be on the safe side, even though they were going to stop in the Orkneys, all of the settlers were put on restricted rations four days in. But it's only like a three-day journey to the Orkneys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But four days into your voyage, I mean, if you were a settler and you're like, right, I've got months of a sea voyage. And they're going to refill again in Portugal. That was the idea, yeah. Why would you need to be in Russia? How long does it take to get to Portugal from Scotland? A couple of weeks. Yeah, and they have like, you said they have like five months worth of food. Yeah, but there's no guarantee that they'll be able to buy all the supplies they need in Portugal. The idea was that they wanted to be completely self-sufficient from the get-go. And that in Portugal, they'd just have to pick up water. Because the other thing is, if they're buying supplies and people know that they're going across to the Caribbean, there's going to be a massive markup on that. If you know someone's desperate, you can charge whatever you want. They should have just stocked up on Huel. 10% off Huel with code Joey Butters. I don't want to be sponsored by Huel. The farts that they make people have are just... It's been horrific. Yeah. Huel, (laughs) you can clear a room... (laughs) Joey sticks around. People will come close to see your muscles, then retreat far away due to the odour. That's all I did on the way here. Just farted. Just got them all out. Bless you for not... 
I mean, you haven't done many farts since you've been Anton here. Well one, done. Joe Hampton one. I'm saving them up. I'm starting to float. You see, look at my belly. Oh, that is distended. <laughs> anyway, back to the people who have just been put on rations. Because don't drink, you'll folks. Two things. I'm, you... I'm too deep in. <laughs> two things you need I'm, to know I'm about subscribing every month. The settlers, right? Firstly, they were not informed why they were being put on short rations because the captains didn't want the embarrassment. So they were just told. And secondly, it was decided by the captains that none of the settlers should be allowed above decks. So they were all forced to stay in the hold. Just like rats. Like rats in the dark. And they were told while huddled in the dark that, oh, nothing to worry about, but we're halving your rations. Anyway, see you again tomorrow. No food, no sunlight. Yeah, you just... Plenty of rum. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's lots of booze. The one thing they're not going to run out of on this trip is booze. Claret and rum. Claret, rum. They're, they're going to be well served for hard liquor, okay? <laughs> Which may come as a a bit of a relief to some people at certain points. Now, the fleet had almost reached the Orkneys for their resupply on July 24th, but that was when the fog arrived. <laughs> it was so thick, so dense. that You could, you could butter it on bread. You probably could. <clears throat> but either way, whether they could butter it or not, any thought of actually making port was replaced with a single-minded desire to just avoid being wrecked on the rocks of the outer Scottish Isles. Oh, shit. So it started off with, we'll just pop into the Orkneys, and I was like, we, we can't see anything, and we're in the middle of a bunch of rocks. Oh, dear God. Oh, before sat-navs. Yeah. And you know that every single... What three words? Every single one of the captains is just imagining the shame if they wreck their ship before they've even left Scotland. You know, just like, oh, no. <laughs> did you get there? Nearly. How, how far did you get from Scotland? No, we nearly left Scotland. That's what I mean. When I sailed to Cornwall. Yeah. I was like 15. Mm. Do, you, do you know the story? No. So the, the idea was a week of sailing from Preston, just outside of Preston. So we we so from got, the Ribble, from the go up the Ribble, get to Preston, yeah, and then out, and then just down the west coast, right? Okay, to Cornwall. That was the trip. Yeah, Irish Sea can get a bit hairy. It wasn't me sailing. It was it was uh, one of my mates' granddad. Still, doesn't change the that was the idea quality of the sea. Yes, we spent four days in Preston on a ship, on a little boat, and you didn't actually move. We sailed for like sailed we were in the boat for like three hours right to get to preston mm. and then the sea was too rough so we just sat in preston for for like four days yeah like i said the irish sea is but i'd never been to be. preston before that so i thought i was miles away oh you were really excited and then one of our mates was in preston town center how did you get here how, what are you doing here <laughs> it's mental i got on the bus yeah i think we got the lift back oh bloody hell well, it was almost a great adventure. Anyway. What a boring story, Jack. <laughs> You're welcome. The fog. Oh, fog. It lasted nearly a week, often accompanied by gale force winds and storms. All the while, the settlers were still not allowed above the decks and they remained on their restricted rations. And you know that the fog was just sort of creeping into the hole down, the down there. So it was just this cold wet stormy 
not knowing what's going on because I don't think any of the captains were really big on giving the information down to the the settlers. They were essentially just extra cargo. So it must have been how many are getting off in Orkney? Well, they never stop in Orkney. They don't. The the fog was too thick. They just had to carry on. They just had to avoid crashing. Shit. Finally, on July thirty first, the fog lifted, and each of the five ships found themselves alone in the Atlantic, separated, but by some miracle still intact. So this this fleet is now just a collection of individual boats bobbing along somewhere in the Atlantic. God. It took another month for the ships to regroup in the port at Madeira. The tired sailors and settlers disembarked to try and recover from the ordeal, and immediately a large proportion became unwell from eating unripe fruit. What, in Madeira? Yeah. So they got off and they'd been eating sort of like just stale bread. And floor mush. For so long that when they actually got some proper food in them, their stomachs just went, nope. That's not food. <laughs> and it was firing out of both ends. So like, finally, civilization. <laughs> and the first time they go into a restaurant, bleh, bleh, like, get these Scottish people out of here. Nothing's changed. <laughs> Fucking animals. <laughs> He came in, ate a melon, and shat all over my desk. Oh, I can't stand him. Just a force arriving like that. <laughs> what are you talking about? A thousand people just descending on a porch, like, absolutely haggard. <laughs> they, they've already decided that this is probably a bad idea, but they're sort of duty-bound to carry on because they have fully half the finances of their country tied up in it. Oh, like you just, it's now too big to fail. They have to proceed. Right. Now, seeing that the voyage was quickly descending into something of a shambles, the council, against the best, against what oh, they wished, no. they were asking for William's opinion. They voted to add Patterson to their number once again. He's back in, baby. He's a he's, member of the, the council. whole time. He's been tutting. Yeah, he's just been looking at it going. Mm. I wouldn't have done that. Oh, no. Going to stop in Orkney, are you? During fog season. Okay. That's what you say we're going to do, Captain. Naturally, he he agreed. He's like, I know you treat me like shit, and I know you're only asking me to join in to save face, but I'm I'm all in. Yeah, let's do this. Immediately, he had a suggestion. He said that the plan that the rest of the council had come up with in his absence for each of them to take a turn at running the new colony for a week at a time before handing over to the next person was a recipe for disaster. As the setting up of Colony needed longer-term thinking, he suggested that, at the very minimum, the term should be a month at a time. And I'll start... No, he wasn't even saying that. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't even asking to be anything other than last in the queue, if at all. He was just saying, look, a week, and then you're handing over to someone else who gets a week. How, how do you assume anything's going to be done? You'll you'll be two days getting used to the big comfy chair <laughs> and figuring out where everything is. And then it's time to hand over to the next guy. We need long term planning. This is a colony. It's not um you know, it's not about your vanity, it's about the greater good. It's like we're all here for the greater good, aren't we? And he looks around at all these people who, you know, would lie, cheat and steal to wring their own personal profit out of this venture. And he'll just, you'd be yeah. back in within a month. Mm. Your turn would come <clears> back round again. Oh, what, you think that's why they wanted to do the shorter ones? Yeah, there's five of them. There's seven, I believe. Right, so 
once every two months you become king for the week rather than once a year ish yeah yeah no i get it it but... could be quite fun at times well also if things start going wrong you've only got to fight the fire for a week and then you hand it off to the next guy yeah. <clears throat> i guess that i can see that but anyway he said you need to make it at least a month Naturally, he was voted down and, after restocking on little more than water, as there was practically no food for sale, the fleet set off again. Kadarian. So spoiled by vomit. Yeah, and... so, so they've stopped, realised that <clears throat> they can't buy any more food to put on the boat and all the food that they've tried to eat to sort of build up their fat supplies plenty. It, has just yeah, come straight back out again and left them, if anything, in a weaker state. And then they're back on the boat with extra water but no extra food and this is the big part of the voyage this is the atlantic unfortunately although they had not managed to pick up the supplies they wanted at some point one of the settlers was able to pick up the flux which is a catch-all term for basically gastrointestinal illness by the time they were a week out from madeira four of their number had already died and the disease was ripping through the cramped quarters like wildfire do you just throw bodies overboard oh yes yeah there's a lot of just quietly not even quietly just heave ho arm and a leg yeah an arm and a leg an arm and a leg and he'll be missed <laughs> yeah but you know they wouldn't sink immediately i don't think they were weighing these people down they were literally just throwing them over so you would have to sail off and see maybe a relative just bobbing for the back of the head yeah in the back oh and then occasionally just a shark just sort of started to worry at it. So yeah. It's what he would have wanted. How? <laughs> For a second, you're like, oh, he's alive. Oh, no. No, it's no. a shark. He's being eaten. Eating his anus. <laughs> so, yeah, they lost they lost four within a week. But everyone, you know, a lot of people were starting to feel a bit gippy and like, oh, God. Oh. I just know it's me yeah. next. <laughs> Another 36 would die before they reached the Caribbean. Almost all of them died in absolute agony, except for assistant surgeon Walter Johnston, who decided to ease his own. Happy Johnston. Well, he decided, he knew he was on his way out, but he decided to ease his passing with a massive quantity of laudanum. Laudanum? Yeah. Is that like an opiate? Yeah, it's like a heroin mix. It's a heroin mixer. (laughs) He was like, well, I'm dying anyway. I don't want to be in pain. He's got the skills to fix that. Oh, no, he didn't, they didn't have the skills to fix the flux. No, I mean, he's got the skills to fix the pain. Yeah, Oh, yeah, yeah. And the qual- he's got the laudanum. Yeah, but they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, they kept all of the medical supplies under lock and key. They were like really miserly because like, we're going to need it when we get there. You're already dying. Why would we waste pain relief on you? Yeah. And he was like, before, <laughs> before, he was like, before they realised he was dying of the flux, he quickly pocketed a lot of laudanum. It's just like, yeah, I'll just be in the corner dying. <laughs> i'm dying baby (laughs) eventually the fleet was able to stop at the danish controlled island of st thomas i never knew the danes had a caribbean island but apparently they did st thomas to resupply and to seek a pilot who could aid them in finding a safe harbor on the isthmus because they needed someone with specific local knowledge are there any green bananas there joe for us all to eat (laughs) ravenously yeah. stuffed down I no I think they learned the lesson from Madeira they were a lot more cautious about the food they accepted plus it was Danish so it was probably all pickled it was well preserved the Danes know how to preserve things for a good sea voyage yeah, yeah. as Patterson was one of the few people who'd actually been in the area 
you know, many years ago at this stage. He was trusted with trying to find the right man for the job. So he said, you go off into town, you find us the guy who's going to direct us to the best place um, for a colony on the on the Isthmus of Darien, okay? Trusting as ever, and having learnt nothing from the many, many times he's been bamboozled and easily confused. Because they're all those deaths are really... Well, they're not his fault, but they are. I, I don't, I don't think you can blame those deaths on him because that's the, just about the deaths coming up. We can. <laughs> there may be some deaths we can yeah, blame yeah. on, him, but not those ones. <laughs> not alone his wives and Rudy's. <laughs> Trusting as ever, William Patterson returned with a drunk and former buccaneer called Robert Allinson. Sorry, called Robert Alston. No. Trusting as ever, William Patterson... Called Peter. <laughs> <laughs> called Bob. <laughs> Trusting as ever, Robert... <laughs> no. Trusting as ever, William Patterson returned with a drunk and former buccaneer called Robert Alliston, who promised that he would be able to land them absolutely anywhere without a bother as long as they kept him in drink for the duration. Which is always a worry when you want someone to navigate for you. It's like, as long as you keep me pissed... We'll get where you want to go. I know. You want somewhere for a car? I know the best place. It's it's already got electricity. It's so how far in. are they away? Where's St. Thomas in relation to it? So it's just off the coast of um, Cuba, sort of like that area. Right, so they've, okay. they've got to do the Caribbean Insane, Sea right. to get there. So they've, they've hit... They're hundreds of miles away. Yeah, but... they're hundreds of miles away, but they've broken the back of it. Right. They're going to be a little bit more protected from the Atlantic than they were previously. And now they've got this... One. amazing man who's going to take them straight to where they want to go it's lucky they found him it is lucky that they found this drunk man that william patterson is vouching for he's like yep no i remember him from my buccaneering days he's the best navigator ever i mean back then he's very much the optimist william isn't he <laughs> yeah he's all coming up patterson <laughs> like, back then he was a great <laughs> navigator and i have no reason to think <laughs> in the 18 years since i met him last that anything has happened in his life <clears throat> that may have impaired his judgment. God, but the amount ha- of trauma that everybody mm. in the world, even the most protected people, mm. it, it was just horrific. Yeah, everyone's dealing with some sort of. Per- yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, it's the sa- it's the same these days. Everyone's got their own crosses to bear. It's just if you're trusting someone who clearly has issues, yeah, that can sometimes come back and bite you. But if Patterson was too friendly and trusting. The other leaders of the expedition were definitely too hostile for their own good. While on St. Thomas, as the guests of the Danish, the Scots were told, in no uncertain terms, that Danish control in the area extended to a small unoccupied island covered with large crabs that they had inventively called Crab Crab Island. Island. Mm. And that the Scots should, under no circumstances, try to settle there. They're not going there anyway. Yeah, you're matter. not going there anyway. Please just don't go to our crab island. Just leave it alone. I know I know we don't actually have boots on the ground there, but it's our island. Yeah. We like to go sometimes and just pull up near the shore and watch the crabs. It's very... very so they're going to stop there for a week, take all the crabs. <laughs> Come. On. Seeing this as a challenge, one of the captains, Richard Drummond, immediately sailed to the island. He saw that there was a single Danish ship anchored off the shore and a small group of 14 men in tents on the beach protecting a Danish flag because the Danes had quickly worked out that the Scottish were going to try and take the right, island. Right. And they're like, right, just go over there so that when they do, we can actually say, look, no, we've literally put a flag on it because we knew you were going to be shits. 
So just back off. Despite his colleagues, his fellow settlers, being docked in a Danish harbour only a few miles away, Drummond decided to antagonise the Danes by landing on the other side of the island, raising the salt air, and having 60 drummers disembark specifically to try and annoy the Danes into leaving. <laughs> just had 60 drummers land on this island and just play as loud as they could for hours to try and make the Danes leave. Did they leave? No. Oh. <laughs> they just sat there and eventually he got bored and the Scots came back. But it's just like, why are you antagonising these people? They've helped you. Yeah. They've sold you supplies. They've allowed you to dock. Even though you are, everyone is rampant with flux. <laughs> They're doing their best to help you. You mad Scotsman. <laughs> You've just decided to go to the island that they've told you not to go to. And piss them off for no reason. I love that they've got no food but 60 drums. <laughs> well, this is the way they pack. All wearing their wigs. Yeah. Their finest frock coats. Because you know they have frock coats as well. Oh, Christ. We, we, we have 16 crates of brass buttons just in case. If we need to replace a button on these coats, we could do so comfortably for the next 300 years. We've got a Snickers. No. No, but I'll tell you what we do have. Clay pipes. Do you want a clay pipe? Barrels of clay pipes <laughs> just want some packed in a hurry <laughs> sure they'll be fine when we finally open them up <laughs> having soured relations with the country of Denmark for no specific purpose and yeah. having thrown two more dead bodies over the side due to the ongoing flux the fleet set off again I'm assuming just as one last fuck you they yeah. threw the bodies onto Crab Island <laughs> <laughs> to go past <laughs> there and just you just pick up one crab like <laughs> I'm, I'm taking this. <laughs> it's mine. The fleet set off again on October the 7th for their final destination of Darien. Now, October in the Caribbean isn't like October in England. Storm season. Yeah, it's when the rainy season really gets going. Meaning that the weather oscillates violently between oppressive humid heat and terrible storms. It's probably the worst time to be taking a three-week journey across the Caribbean Sea. 25 more dead bodies were thrown over the side as the five ships braved the violent seas, but eventually they sighted land. They'd made it to South America. How far are they away from where they want to be? <laughs> How far down? You think... You think... Uh, I'm, oh, they've gone up in Mexico? No, 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 they've gone, they've gone down. They've gone to Spanish territory, yeah. essentially. So they've, they've sailed right at Spanish-controlled... Um, but they're in Brazil. Eh, not Brazil. They're on the Spanish main, essentially. Like Bolivia. <clears throat> I can't. I can't tell you exactly because they didn't know exactly. <laughs> they just knew that they weren't where oh, they sorry, needed to be. POV. It came as where no... are we? <laughs> <laughs> it came as no surprise <laughs> to anyone except Patterson that the old drunk Robert had lied a bit about his navigation skills. This resulted in the fleet spending another two weeks following the coastline west before finally. So those deaths are on him. Uh, yeah, those yeah, deaths okay. are on him. Start the count. So that's 40. No, no, no. If you want to start the count, I'll give you it. So finally, the settlers who were strong enough to make it above decks, and at least another six had died during the final fortnight at sea. So those six are definitely on William Patterson. Um, were able to see their new home of Darien for the first time. It appeared on the surface to be a luscious green land. Mm. They quickly found a lagoon between high cliffs of a peninsula, which they decided was a God-given natural harbour with strong defensive positions. Meaning, God was with them. 
seems that way from the story. It'll be safe from any attack. Is uh, the Reverend, the good Thomas? The good Thomas, yeah, Thomas James, James is still alive. alive. He's still alive at this point, yeah. yeah. He's doing okay. They haven't been rushing in. <clears throat> what, the, the, the... The clergymen and... <laughs> Oh, the captains didn't ration at no, all. No, no. I doubt they made the clergy ration. That was the rationing was basically for the settlers who they kept in a hold now for the better part of three months. Wow, hell hole. Yeah, but you know it's all been worth it because they're looking on this this perfect. Imagine walking place. for the first time in, in three months. Well, for more than a couple of steps in either direction. Yeah, just they, being able to walk on solid land must yeah, have been and having the hatch open and seeing the <laughs> sun. And what a sun. Now white Scottish bodies go and they haven't seen sunlight for three months. What a sun this is going to be. Because yeah. this is, I think this is just Southern Hemisphere. So they're just going to be coming into summer. This yeah. is all full heat. Lovely for them. But Patterson, he allowed himself to feel a moment of pride. That his dream was finally, finally going to become a reality. Just stood at the the bow with an erection. Yeah, now that, now that they've got here... <laughs> It's a brand new, it's a brand new day. It's a brand new life for William Patterson. He's got there and all they've got to do is just set up the colony. That's the easy bit, setting up the colony. The journey was the difficult bit. In fact, his dreams have become a reality to the degree that when the first of the ships arrived in the harbour, the Scots were actually genuinely met by a group of 20 of the indigenous population on the shoreline waiting to welcome them, just as he'd said they would be. These people had a little bit of English and they informed the Scots that the chief would be more than happy to come and visit with the new settlers the very next day. I don't believe this. This actually happened. So they came They came into this natural harbour, they looked, and there was a group of people who waved at them and they took a boat over and they said hello and these guys could speak a little bit of English, a little bit of Spanish, and they said, oh, yeah, yeah. No, if you want to live here, that's absolutely fine. In fact, we'll get our chief to come and speak to you and tell you about things and tell you about what's around and how things are going. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's fantastic. We're going to have the local knowledge on day two. That's pretty damn good as far as we're concerned. That's a twist. You're leading me somewhere. I'm not leading you anywhere. The rest of the ships entered the harbour, with one immediately striking a submerged rock and springing a leak. But even this didn't dampen the Scottish spirits. They made for the northern shore of the lagoon, where they would found the first settlement of the territory of New Caledonia. New Edinburgh! Oh, it's all that. Yeah, new. <laughs> As you know, these days, New Edinburgh is second only to New York mm. in terms of, you know, how, how many songs and, yeah. are sung about it. Sandy jungle where dreams are made of to die. Um, <laughs> so they thought that this was the perfect place to settle. Um, because it had this natural harbour. What they didn't know at this point was that actually, because of the way the tides worked uh, and because of the way that the weather systems worked, for the vast majority of time, if the wind was blowing from the north, it was impossible to actually get the ships out of the harbour and it became a bit of a trap. It's a castaway. Yeah, but they hadn't learned that yet. So they got the ships in and it was easy to get the ships in, but you really were at the fate of the weather and for weeks at a time. You well, they don't be... need to go anywhere. They've, they've got to the place. They're still going to have to trade with oh. the local people and get in and out. Oh, they've got to bring it all back. Yeah, yeah. So th- what they've done is they've sailed into a harbour that, yes, it provides a safe port, but you don't get to decide when you leave. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> it's like, oh, we've got some time-sensitive stuff we've got to do. We need to get out and we need to get to Jamaica to get these you know, letters sent off. Sorry, mate. 
Not until the wind changes direction. And that might be weeks. Shit. God, the time's so different now. Mm. The settlers, you know, sickly, pale, shaking, most of them still shitting water, were dropped onto the sands and tasked with clearing the trees and preparing the lumber to begin building the new town. They were also tasked with digging graves, as the flux was still ravaging the half-starved settlers. And that's from Portugal? They yeah. got that? They've, they've been enduring months of this. Because they're in such cramped conditions, because it's hot, it's humid, you know, the food's rancid, it's just, they can't get clear of it. It just keeps circulating in the population. One of the first people to be buried in the new colony was William Patterson's wife, who had loyally followed him to the other side of the world based on his promises of a better life. Patterson reportedly showed very little emotion. Uh, Sort of charitably, uh, the writer of the main source that I used said that he probably hid his emotions well. I'm not sure if that's the case. Um, He just threw himself into the admin of organising the new colony. Well, he's excited. He's, he's living his dream. One of one of the people who later sort of became a detractor of him and tried to put all the blame at his door said that basically he hadn't cared at all and he just planted the foundations of the new colony seven feet deep with the bones of his wife. They were like, yep, yeah. he basically just saw it as a way of claiming the land. So like, there we go. Instead of sticking a flag in, I'm going to stick my wife into the soil here and that's how we know it's mine. Which is a bit uncharitable. Sam, do you take a lot of women with you when you go and settle them? You need a certain amount. You will, but... um, Is that on like a second voyage? There were very few, yeah, there were very few on this first um, expedition. The idea was that... You you settle, go to Jamaica, tell them, yeah, it's all cool. Mm. Yeah, we've got the buildings, we've got the infrastructure, we've started the trade, so now... um, But that can be like a five-year process. Yeah, but... (laughs) Yep. You know, you, that's why generally the first sort of groups are the young men who've got that time and they'll go and they'll do that thing. Yeah, it's right. like, well, if I toil at this point, I'm in on the ground floor. So when this becomes a real prosperous place, you know, I, I own lots of the land here, which the value will skyrocket as other people want to move here and are paying to move here rather than me being paid to move here. Right, right. It's the same as what happened um, in um, Australia. You know, a lot of the people who first moved out out of choice were taking a massive gamble, but then when like the major cities sprang up and the cost of housing and stuff went up, they suddenly found that they were really wealthy because they could sell land that they'd practically been given for vast sums of money. Right. In other news... Anyway, one of the things William did, having buried his wife, he advised the, the councillors change the proposed site of the defensive fort that they were building as the ground that they'd chosen was unsuitable. Naturally, again, the rest of the councillors ignored Patterson for two months before they realised that the site that they had chosen was unsuitable and ordered the settlers to move it to a better location. So out of spite and because they just couldn't allow that William Patterson could have a useful contribution to make, they allowed starving Scottish settlers to continue to build a fort for two months. On quicksand. In a, yeah, in a place where it was never going to be able to stay. And then grudgingly said, right, you, you're you going to have to take all of that down and start again. You know, a couple of hundred yards further along. Un- not unsurprisingly, the the councillors spent most of their time on the ships uh, and made their decisions from there rather than, you know, living. The only one 
of the councillors who actually lived in the settlement alongside the settlers was William Patterson. Because he took the view that I need to be there to see where the issues might be so yeah. that we can deal with them. Whereas the rest of the councillors were like, no, I'm, I'm going to just tell people what to do from the, the ship where I have the best food and I have just squinting. A, a feather bed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just go, that seems fine. Yeah, they're, they're doing great. Anyway. And they've still got a load of food. Oh, yeah. Throughout all of this, yeah, none yeah. of the none of the captains, none of the councillors, none of the higher ups have ever had to worry about what they're eating. Yeah, because you have your own pantry. Yeah, yeah. And your quarters. Uh, yeah. Oh, no. They, they have loads. I'm guessing there's loads of secret compartments that are just stuffed full of the finest things. Yeah. Preserved meat, not yeah. slippy meat. Yeah, well, I'm just imagining, so like, there's a secret compartment under his desk, he just opens it, there's a full suckling pig just on a rotisserie, there's... With a, with a, with a little label that says pig. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's labelled. Oh, dear. The settlers had arrived on October the 31st, and by mid-November, mutiny was in the air. The rations by this stage were dangerously low. And so the captains of the boats had decided that they would now no longer come ashore at all and were only grudgingly sharing what they had with the settlers who were attempting to build a town while malnourished and sick. So they were sending a boat across each day with whatever they felt like putting in it. Yeah. The only thing that they shared in large quantities was alcohol. Because they were like, well, when they're drunk, I mean, they get angry, but then they get sleepy. And then they're too hung over the next day to really, um, you know, complain too much. So we'll just keep them in a state of um, starvation and drunkenness and they're easier to control. Just watching like hundreds of people die. Slowly. No, so, no, I mean, because they're all trying to build with nothing in them. Mm. But, but on top of that, they've already seen the repercussions of starvation in hundreds of bodies that they've <laughs> arm and a leg over the, the yeah. side and buried. Yeah, they've seen their future. And yeah. it's just like, how long will it take to get there? You're burying a body and you, it's got your face on it as you're looking at it. <laughs> but naturally, you know, they're, they're all starving. They're half drunk most of the time. It meant that the building work was quite slow and that, you know, it wasn't of the best quality. It wasn't really built to last. It was just, oh God, I just need to get this done. You know, it's just like... <laughs> Yeah, I just I'll just sleep on this floor under this log. It's just people rolling a log onto themselves and calling it a house. And going, I'm done now. I'm gonna rest. Nevertheless, before the end of the year, it was decided that enough shanty huts had been built that the company could officially declare themselves a colony, which was just in time for everything to get much, much worse. Oh, so much worse. What, what, what time of the year are we in? Uh, this is just this is the new year. This is December the 28th. They right. declared themselves a new colony. Dispatches were sent from the colony to inform the investors back home that the colony had indeed been settled. However, these were carried on English trading vessels and soon everyone knew that the Scots had settled in Darien. This included the Spanish, who were the major power in the area, and they immediately started strategising about how they could force the new settlers out of the territory kill them all that's one way yeah and it's one that the spanish were definitely considering it's just like we could kill yeah that should sort it the settlers didn't know about that just yet they didn't know that the spanish were plotting so that's okay what you don't know you don't need to worry about they also didn't know that the first ship carrying extra supplies to the colony called the dispatch had only made it to the isle of ely a few miles off the mainland of scotland before it had wrecked and sank with all the supplies. 
that were supposed to be, you know, going to these incredibly hungry people. And they'd, they'd known about, you know, when the resupplies were going to be setting off. So they were like, oh, I know it's terrible, but there's a ship coming. We know that there's a ship coming. Oh, the hope is but worse. But it, it wasn't coming. Every every little speck you see on the horizon. And they're, they're probably going, oh. yeah, they're going, Oh, it's well, dipped, it's dipped over the horizon. It took us this amount of time, but they're going. They're coming straight here. And with fair winds, they could be here, oh, let's say... Early, Three days. Early February. Three days. <laughs> they could be here early February. So, And then from that day, it's like February the 1st. Ooh, just watching from that cliff, just <laughs> straining to see into the distance. And like you say, it was quite a busy shipping lane, you yeah. know, that coast. So they would have seen like sloops and little um, coastal ships. But every time they saw a sail sort of cresting over the horizon, it's, is that it? Is that the food? No, 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 no. That's, that's a Dutch ship. That's okay. That's okay. Oh, is that one of us? Oh, please. Just more and more energy being used for excitement. Yeah. <laughs> like the crash. <laughs> Just chewing on a rock in between. <laughs> like it's an apple. Is there no food on the, the Dandarian? Uh, the, the problem is... What, what are you calling it? You've used three different... Darian, Darian. Darian. I don't really know. Darian. What did I say? Dondarian. <laughs> Dondarian. Uh, Dondarian. Is that I... one of the musketeers? Uh, there is a musketeer called Dontanian. Dontanian. Um, but no, um, the problem was that in such a humid, as you know, as a gardener, in humid climates like that, certain plants do better than others. And the grains and crops that they brought were for a kind of Britishy yeah. condition where you need it to be wet but quite dry. Yeah, fierce mild. Yeah. You, what you don't want is consistently humid. You know, and, all the seed rots. Yeah, basically everything that they were putting in the soil was rotting. And because they'd <clears throat> set up on sort of like a, a little sandy peninsula Didn't they... so that they could defend it. What happened to the chief? He came and saw them. He was like, oh, it's great to have you guys. They traded with him. And they were like, well, it, all he basically did was Oh, go, thank you. A thousand yeah. combs. <laughs> so, this is great. We are friends. Uh, I, he wasn't supplying them with anything. Yeah. Because these are these are guys who live off the land. You know, they have a few animals, enough for the sort of group. Yeah. And they have a few crops that they grow. And they were quite a few miles inland. They lived inland. Because south of where our Scots guys had set up was just sort of... I'm not going to say inaccessible but very hard to access mangrove swamp right so they couldn't really grow anything there and because they'd set up on this sandy peninsula the soil there was absolutely terrible as well they they just picked a really bad place to set up in terms of if you want to farm it was great defensively but you would have to have supplies brought into it all the time if you were going to defend it and they didn't have supplies coming in all the time because the dispatch was uh wrecked on a rock it was somewhere in the Irish Sea, Christ. sadly, being buffeted by the waves. This little mast still sticking out. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, let's hope that they were careful with their rations, because it's going to be a few more months. Proactively, and probably hoping to be as far away from the sickly settlers as possible, the ship captains had taken to cruising the coast. Ostensibly, this was to trade for supplies, or to try their hand at privateering. It was while on one of these excursions on February the 5th, 1699, that the captain of the Dolphin, Robert Pinkerton, managed to hit a rock and get captured by the Spanish. Did he do it on porpoise? 
<laughs> no, because he got thrown in a Spanish prison. I'm sorry. And at one point he thought he was going to be executed. Um, he wasn't. But basically, they had five ships. They now have four ships. And one of those ships that they have has a big hole in it because of the rock they hit while they were getting into the harbour that they couldn't get out of. So things are looking... Oh, Joe, this is so miserable. <laughs> it's just the slow ratcheting You just want everyone to misery. die quickly. Mm. The very next next day after they lost the dolphin, the indigenous people that they had befriended, they finally got the payoff for befriending these guys. They ran to the new colony to tell them that the Spanish were attacking from the south. A company of 60 men was sent to meet the Spanish attack immediately. 60 sickly Scottish men armed with muskets had to march through a mangrove swamp to meet the Spanish threat. It's just on, wet gunpowder. And... Yeah, it's, it's not going well. However, although there was a little bit of a skirmish and a few shots were fired, it turned out that the Spanish had turned up. They'd come with all intention of fighting the Scots. They'd seen what a terrible situation the Scottish had gotten themselves into. So they'd, they'd observed this colony. They'd seen the sort of skeleton people <laughs> desperately trying to hoist wood. <laughs> into something approximating the shape of a house. And they had decided it was not worth the ammunition to do what Mother Nature was clearly doing for them. They were like, yeah, this isn't a colony. This is <laughs> this is a cry for help. And we don't need to do anything. This isn't a threat to us. It's just a concentration camp. Yeah. <laughs> With the prisoners of the wards. Yeah, a self-imposed wardens. concentration camp. So the Spanish turned oh, up Christ. and they just went, yeah, we'll... We'll check back in with this in a month or two. I don't think it's going to be a problem for us. And they left, which is, I mean, how sad is that when people don't even think you're worth destroying? You just shoot. Oh, no. Yeah, heartless. Mm. Shoot them all. That probably would have been. You could have shot them all and took the ships. I know because you can't get them out of the fucking harbour. Yeah. And one of them's, they probably looked and saw the one had a massive gaping hole in the sand. Like, they look like pieces of shit. Um, when I. We have our galleons. We have well, really good Spanish ships. We don't need these. These are terrible like, we'll ships. We'll come back in six months and see Yeah, what's and like. we can have them for free. Yeah, yeah. Because I'll just be sat bobbing in this harbour, just full of corpses. Yeah. It was a sentiment shared by many of the settlers that Mother Nature was eventually going to do for all of them. By May 18th, they'd still not received any additional supplies. Oh, God, they've been doing this a year. Well, they've been doing it at this point. Um, so they got the... in. October, on October. No, 31st. but they set off from thing in yeah, yeah. May. But they've been working to try and build a colony with no food essentially since October, and it's now May. So seven months they've been <clears throat> just slaving away through the heat of the sort of you know South yeah, American yeah. summer with no support, no indication that anyone's going to come and from Scotland again. Everyone else might have just written it off. For all they know, they could be working, written it off, Joe. working forever to build a colony that no one's ever going to come to. However, what they had received in lieu of supplies was news that the king himself had deemed that their colony was now illegal and decreed that no English vessel should trade with them or provide any material support. Which is a bit of an issue considering the nearest friendly port was Jamaica. But that was an English-owned port. So what they've just been told is... Yeah. So you just changed the rules completely. Yeah, they've changed the rules on them. They, you know, they were given a permission to set up a colony, and now when they're expecting supplies, they instead have a note saying, "By the way, what you're doing is completely illegal, and you're going to get no support from the crown." Oh Christ! 
This was, unsurprisingly, the final straw. Even Patterson had to admit that if both the Spanish and the English were openly hostile to them, and don't forget they'd also annoyed the Danes for no reason, so there's three powers in the area who are now openly hostile, it would be impossible for the colony to continue because it's supposed to be a trading colony. You know, they were supposed to set up this outpost, build a road through the mangrove swamp and for 30 miles, and then start trading. But who are you going to trade with if the Spanish aren't going to trade with you and the English aren't going to trade with you? Um, you know... Uh, no. <clears throat> the Portuguese? The, maybe. The mm. French. But again, are they going to want to trade with you because they know that will piss off the English and the Spanish? Yeah. And this is the Spanish main. They're the major power in South America. I mean, it'd be hard to argue with if you actually managed to build the road through. Well, again, I just think he was too optimistic. Money would... Wouldn't money trump... It, it would. Maybe the English and the... the yeah, they're forbidden. Well, the English... But the other powers would be like, well, yeah, this this saves thousands of pounds. Yeah, and they go, and do you know what would save even more money? If we didn't have to pay to use it because we owned it. Oh, shit, yeah. I think that's where the, right, the, right. the naivety of Patterson really comes through. It's, if I build this amazing money-making scheme, people will just allow me to have it, even though we're a very small country with very limited resources. Yeah, so they are massive So even superpowers. in the best outcome, he's cutting the ribbon, of, you know, opening the road, everyone's cheering, and the Spanish just destroy him. Well, it will be a, a sort of a Spanish-English war over who gets right, to right. take over this amazing money-spinning idea, yeah. There was never any chance that it was going to be able to be a Scottish enterprise. If it was successful, it would just be overrun by somebody else but it wasn't successful at the moment so it's allowed to remain a scottish thing when when will they get their chance joe when will we get our chance as quarter scottish uh i don't think we can claim that i think they get annoyed at us would they probably it's a fact i know it's a fact but we can hardly claim to be scottish i didn't say that i said a quarter scot i think we just got to earn the fact that we're mainly english and we did this. I'm an eighth Irish. Are we? Yeah. Oh, mum's mum's mum. No. Mum's 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 mum. Granddad's Gramps' dad. Gramps' dad was Irish. Oh. And on this, e- on this I've... episode of vague Heathcote family history, <laughs> oh, was he Irish? Was he? Oh. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, you'll take that. <laughs> that comes with a different passport. That comes with opportunity. <laughs> Um, so, on June 22nd, 1699, less than eight months after they arrived, the decision was taken to abandon the colony. The four ships left a ramshackle collection of half-finished buildings, too many graves, and six men who were deemed too sick to travel. <laughs> so, I'm sorry, I, I, I don't think you'd survive the trip, is that- what? I'm not going to survive here. No, no. I think it was just, do we want to take the flux on board again? Or do we want to leave the flux here with these six sickly men? <laughs> Bye. Watch my things. I'll be right back. We'll we'll get you on the last boat. <laughs> and just saw the anchors slowly being raised. And lots of people looking over kind of apologetically like, hmm. <laughs> you won't even fight it. <laughs> Did you, oh, okay. Oh, thank God I can die. At least, at least I don't have to build another bloody hut. At least I don't have hope anymore. 
one of the four ships that left sank almost immediately with the loss of everyone on board, while another limped to English-controlled Jamaica. Meanwhile, Patterson was on one of the two ships which sailed north to New York, arriving on August the 14th. How surreal that would be. Going from the wor- a tropical hellhole yeah, to... Like I said it last week, the heart of darkness. <laughs> to a, a new metropolis. It's just thriving. Yeah. Everything that he wanted to build New Edinburgh into. Yeah. Just seeing it there. Oh, this is a colony. This is a place that's, you know, trade is coming. They're building up their power base. America is becoming the, the yeah, power yeah. that it will be. Yeah, he, he saw that and there was a little tear in his eyes. Like, why can't we have nice things? I know, you should be pure relief. He's not leaving there, that's where he's staying. You reckon Patterson's staying there, do you? I would. Mm. You're not Patterson, though. You you don't have the moral compass he has. Is he going back? <laughs> just, yeah, he's just like already shopping for a canoe. Yeah. Actually, I'll make it back. I'll make this work. Actually, a couple of coffees and a sandwich. That'll get me back. So they arrived in New York on August the 14th. Meanwhile, we're going back across the Atlantic to Scotland... Four days later, on August the 18th, on the Clyde River near Glasgow, Clyde. 300 settlers were blissfully unaware that the colony had been abandoned as they waved farewell to relatives and set out for Darien. Uh, sorry, 300, if only it was 300 settlers. 1,300 settlers <laughs> were blissfully unaware of the fact that the colony had been abandoned. And amazingly, while it's estimated that three quarters of the original settlers died during the first expedition... Those who made up the second expedition had an even worse chance of survival. Why? They had flux before they started. No, no, no. It's it's what happens when they get there. Because the the sailing for the second group was actually quite uneventful. And they arrived on November the 30th, 1699. At the same time that William Patterson, though gravely ill, was slowly travelling from Glasgow to Edinburgh to give an explanation to the directors in Edinburgh of what had gone wrong. Oh, he's already gone from New York to Glasgow. Yeah, because every other one of the council who'd, you know, been running the first colony, they basically found reasons not to go back to Scotland because they were like, we've we've spent a lot of people's money and we have nothing to show for it. I am not going back to Scotland because I'm going to be lynched. Whereas William Patterson is like, well, somebody's got to go and explain what happened. Somebody's got to go and, you know, give the account. And they all looked at him. And so, despite the fact he was incredibly ill, he got on a ship across to Glasgow and then spent two weeks travelling to from Glasgow. to Those 40 miles from Glasgow to Edinburgh, two weeks, because he could only travel a few miles per day and then he had to stay in friends' houses to recover because he was that sick. He'd have to spend a day in bed and then could do another few miles. No, no, no. In carriages, he was that delicate. But he still felt he had to do it because someone had to go and explain what had happened and no one else was doing it. And he still felt ownership of this scheme. He's like, I'm going to have to explain what went wrong. And probably in his head, and I've learned the lessons, and the next time I go, I know what we need to do better. Anyway, on the other side of the world, the new colonists saw the large amounts of graves the half-finished buildings, and the lack of any settlers, and immediately wished to be anywhere else. Within weeks, it was reported that the Spanish were planning an attack on the colony. Seemingly amazed that the Scots had decided to give it a second go, they decided to take things a bit more seriously than they had the first time around. Slaughter them all. Yeah, they were like, well, Mm. we thought they'd give up after what happened the first time around, but 
they seem determined. So we need to make it quite clear that this isn't going to be a thing. No matter how many people they throw at it, no matter how many lemmings they run off that cliff, it's not going to be for any benefit to them. How many settlers... How common is this story? Of what? Settlements? Just being abandoned and Um, being hellscaped. The first attempt at a settlement in North America, Roanoke, that was abandoned. Um, It often happened. Um, Jamestown, one of the first successful settlements that was almost abandoned a few times it got it got to the point where pretty much at one point everyone from jamestown was on boats sailing down the river towards the sea and then another wave of colonists came and they kind of they were so embarrassed by the fact that they were running away that they kind of turned around and pretended like they were escorting the new people in (laughs) why is why is all the furniture covered in in cloth why why have you boarded up all the windows no no reason yeah Sixty drums come out, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> but yeah, uh, the Spanish were like, "No messing about. We're not waiting to see what happens this time." And by February the twenty third, so only a few months after the second lot of colonists had arrived and started trying to rebuild this half finished colony, twelve Spanish ships were blockading the harbor, while a force of Spanish soldiers were slowly and inexorably pushing forwards to trap the settlers on the little peninsula of New Edinburgh. By March 3rd, it was clear that the Scottish were trapped. The leader of the Spanish forces, and I swear this is his real name, Don Juan Pimienta. He's Scottish. No, this is the Spanish leader. (laughs) Don Juan. Don Juan Pimienta. He invited the Scots to surrender. It's like, come on, come and treat with us. We'll allow you to leave with dignity. You must see that this is over. Don Juan was amazed. Aboleo de la polla. <laughs> You're going to do something. Don Juan was... Aquabble. <laughs> Stop. Ah, <laughs> oh, God. That's Don Juan for you. Don Juan, yeah. also known as Cockwabble. <laughs> he was amazed that the leaders of this second expedition actually turned around and said, no, we're going to fight you. Well, they don't know yet, do they? Well, they do. They they can see that there's an army that's trapped them on the peninsula. Yeah, but they haven't had the suffering of everybody dying. No, no, I suppose not. So they still got the energy of like yeah, okay, a little we'll bit of energy. Yeah, yeah. But the, the, they can't escape by sea, so the ships are useless. They can't escape by land to get supplies. So basically, they go, "No, we're going to fight you." And it's like, well, we don't even need to fight you. We can just sit here for a bit. Mm. And watch you starve because we can get resupplied. We've got all these ships that can just go to <clears throat> one of our many ports and bring us back whatever we want. You have the sum total of what is on that ship there. And it looks like you guys are hungry. And he was, he was for a month, Don Juan was the model of restraint. He was like, no, no, no. I'm sure I, they will see sense eventually. However... Eventually, he had to press forward and say, right, OK, we're, we're going to move past the first wave of defences because they built a kind of um, ditch and embankment set up at the mouth of the peninsula. And as soon as the Spanish forces actually started moving towards this embankment, the Scottish defenders just ran. Like, oh, shit, they're actually coming for us. They ran back to New Edinburgh, bless them, and locked themselves in the tiny wooden houses. And even after that, Don Juan still try to you know be nice and say okay now will you consider surrendering 
because what you've done is you've locked yourself in highly flammable buildings and we have matches. So now we please surrender. I don't want to have to burn a bunch of civilians, but I will. I, I think you're painting this guy out too generously. Why? He could easily... He could orders, easily be... His orders f- were to get rid of this colony. He could have done that in two days. Bing, bang, bong. He could have killed everyone. And he could have just said, right, that's done. But he spent over a month living in a tent, trying to convince these people New Caledonia was not going to become a thing. It's just like, no. Or not even not going to become a thing. It's like, just not here. It's not going to work here. You need to leave, guys. And we will allow you to leave. When they finally did sign... And I love this. The Articles of Capitulation. Right. It stated that they had to leave within two weeks and that they could never try and settle Darien again. But they were allowed to take all of their weapons. They were allowed to take all of their supplies. They were allowed to take all of their ships with them. So considering they had absolutely nothing to bargain with, these were really generous terms. It's like, you, we're letting you go. As long as you promise not to come back, that's all we want. And the Scots took them up on this offer and left. New Caledonia was abandoned for the second and last time on April the 12th, 1700, less than two years after the first expedition had set off from Edinburgh with the hope of the Scottish nation resting upon it and half of the money of Scotland. It had cost, as well as all that money, over 2,000 lives with no benefits. And if anyone was in any doubt that the scheme was clearly under some kind of curse. Of the six ships that had been allowed to leave Darien to transport the colonists back home, the Hope, that was the first ship, was wrecked shortly after leaving Jamaica with no survivors. The Hope of Bowness, second ship, it managed to sail from Darien and it decided not to go to Jamaica. It sailed straight into Spanish waters and was promptly captured. So... The first one was like, we're going to Jamaica. And they're like, Ooh, the English have been told to not help us. Are you sure you want to go there? That sounds risky. We're just going to try and sail directly home. And they made a bit of a miscalculation straight into Spanish waters, got captured. The Rising Sun and the Duke of Hamilton, they decided on a different tack again. And they started going north um, to North America, to the United States. <clears throat> and they made it as far as Charleston, Carolina, where they decided they'd dock for a little while get some supplies before they went across the Atlantic. And it was while they were in dock in Charleston, Carolina, that they were sank by a hurricane. Jesus. So they, you know, they're like, we're, we're going to be sensible. We're going to go north. We're going to follow what the, um, you know, the other ships that survived from the first expedition did. We're not stupid. And they just happened to sit right in the path of a hurricane and get sunk that way. Meanwhile, the speedy return and the continent the last two ships, they decided to try a different tack again and they headed off to the African coast with all of the trade goods that the company had supplied the colony with to try and at least recoup some of the losses by trading that for money, to try and get some of the money back for all of the investors. Within a year, both of these ships had been captured by pirates and had ended up being wrecked. What I'm saying is, that none of the ships that were allowed to leave Darien actually made it back to Scotland. So they should have just tried the... And they should have just fought the Spanish. Yeah, yeah, they should yeah. And only around 300 of the 1,300 people who set off on that second expedition survived. Like I say, 
a worse than three quarter chance of dying. Well, you've you've topped yourself with the how miserable a story you can tell. I can tell. Even after the second abandonment of Darien, the fact that it was made illegal by the king, and the fact that they'd signed articles for the Spanish to say that they would never return, the directors of the company in Scotland continue to argue in Parliament that it should be declared a legal settlement and receive support and funding. From the English. Yeah. Right. This is... But that would help. Yeah, but when they're saying they want it to be declared a legal settlement, there is not a single person there. They, they, it, it's well, just a not few... a living people. No, no. Yes, there's a lot of dead Scottish people there. Wives. Yeah. Where's the reverend? Did he get out? I believe the reverend actually died. Oh. What about his wife? Just assume... What about Rudy? Just assume that anyone that you, you cared about in any way died. Probably of some form of gastrointestinal disease. You know, or just heat stroke. Or just giving up the will. <laughs> just lying down one day in full baking sunlight and just closing their eyes. Would you take the voyage? No. No, not knowing what you know now. <laughs> oh, what? Because that, that question is, do you want to go and die on some hellscape? <laughs> would, I, would I take that risk? No. I think it would be different if it was... Would I at that point have wanted to sell to the Americas because there was some, you know, the the hard work had been done. There were still opportunities there um, to make something of yourself, but you know, you you weren't literally having to build the first structures in that area. But for this, no, no, God, no. Because like I say, it wasn't like just Scot- think a pina colada with a little umbrella in there. It wasn't like Scottish people weren't you just, allowed. You just to sat on your porch. Emigrate. Everything's to the growing. No, because Scottish people were allowed to emigrate to America. You know, a lot of them during the Seven Ill Years went to the Americas and to other colonies. Yeah, but the so Scottish weren't to... putting that same money into going to America, were they? This is... No, I mean, a lot of people this go to Scotland. Service. This is New Edinburgh. Mm. And a lot this of people did get... New York. But I've never been particularly um, patriotic, have I? Yeah, but I'm... You've got to put yourself in the yeah, position. I, I just, I'm not a very patriotic person. You're just, a, I don't think I you're just a dirt farmer that suffered through seven years of, of starvation. I'm a dirt farmer. Maybe I'm something a bit better. All right, you're some corrupt official. That's Thank you. Then I wouldn't need to go because I've got by, my niche. Yeah. I've got my niche. I'm happy. Okay. I've got my scams running. Why would I give up that? You can be the... You, I'm offering you, you can be the captain. I don't want to be the captain. What do you mean? Turns out they're all hateful. Right. There was mutiny, counter-mutiny. Someone was hung. I didn't even cover that. While all of this bullshit was going on during the Second Colony, while the Spanish were coming to attack, they held a court-martial for one of them and hung them for, you know, uh, treason. Right. And it's just like, when you get to that point where you're infighting to the point where you don't notice the threat, it's like, excuse me, excuse me, Spaniards, can you just wait there? We're busy hanging someone here for treason against this colony. Get some perspective. And I think that's the problem. It became so narrow that this had to work, that every opportunity to sort of take the off-ramp and to just, okay, let's just cut our losses. They didn't. And even after it all gone to shit, they were still arguing. Oh, you you need to say that this thing's legal. It's like, it it doesn't exist anymore. It's not a thing. Stop making it a thing. New Caledonia will not be a thing. So you wouldn't go? No. No. I think I probably would have (laughs) gone. Obviously, not knowing what's happened, mm. but you think that half the money of Scotland's in there. Mm. How many you were 
talking about the, the amount of applicants. Mm, tens of thousands. Yeah, everybody wanted to be on those ships. Yeah, it was a national fever. Everyone was... It was having that glory of being able to say... You know, a bit like when uh, Americans now, people go, oh, well, I can trace my um, ancestry back to the, uh, you know, the Mayflower mm-hmm. and the first settlers and that that prestige that it seems to give people. It was the idea of having that of, yeah. oh, well, you know, my granddad was one of the first New Caledonians and everyone wanted to have that. So, you know, families would insist that at least one member was given a birth on that ship so that they could have that prestige within the family. So they continue to argue in Parliament. Uh, however, the king wanted nothing to do with the enterprise. He wanted nothing more to do with it because he didn't want the curse to rub off on him, the king. Unfortunately, even by mentioning the Company of Scotland, he'd angered whoever had set that curse on them and he was dead within two years. So perhaps it would have been safer if he just stopped acknowledging that this entire thing had ever existed. The sense of loss in Scotland at the failure of the Company of Scotland to get this trading post off the ground was very profound. Almost every family had lost both money and relatives in the ill-fated scheme, which, far from transforming Scotland into a major colonial power, had pushed it to the very brink of bankruptcy. William Patterson, he was able to recover from his illness and he wisely moved back to London, trying to rebuild his life as a merchant. It was in London that he would have learned of the passing of the Act of Union, which created the new United Kingdom of Great Britain and removed Scotland's sovereignty. In fact, he would have celebrated the passing as he had become an outspoken advocate for the Union. So after all of that, he decided, well, if we can't do it on our own, let's have a formal union with England because then we can share in their wealth. Ever the optimist, he had written a pamphlet called Wednesday Club Dialogues upon the Union in 1706, the year before the bill passed, expressing his belief that under the Union, Scotland would be guaranteed equal taxation, freedom of trade and proportionate representation in Parliament. That that foolish fool. Because all of those things, as we know, have come to pass. And the Scottish, as a nation now, are so happy that they are joined with the English and having to, you know, have laws made in Westminster or have their own laws overruled by Westminster and the freedom of trade that they enjoy being not only a part of, you know, Great Britain, but also a part of the European Union. I feel like that just being northern. Yeah. yeah. Laws are passed that don't sarcasm, reflect me. Yeah, out of it. Yeah. Just feel like district whatever of Hunger Games. <laughs> I'm not district one or two. Oh, there's all of London. There's oh North London, there's South London, East Sussex. Oh, there's the Shires, obviously. Mm. And we like Cornwall because we need somewhere to go uh, for holidays. And the Essex coast will even Birmingham. Who? <laughs> <laughs> and then there's more of it, but we don't. Past Birmingham. Yeah, we don't it. really care about that. I believe there's somewhere called Stoke. I went there once for a conference. It was scary. I came back quite quickly. It's mad, isn't it? Mm. On the point of freedom of trade, it is worth noting that there is a specific article within the Act of Union, Article 15, which dissolved the Company of Scotland. So when they say, oh, equality of trade, it's like, yes, but that company that you set up for Scottish interests, we specifically want you to remove that. That has to go. We're, we're telling you, by act of law, 
that you cannot have this company anymore. That might be a a good thing, to be fair. Well, yeah, possibly. If they're all still trying to chase the losses. Yeah, well, this is the thing. Okay, stop it. It was sort of like the final nail in the coffin. It was... You don't have to think about that because it can't exist. But there also would have been a sense of, you know, final sort of devastation that all those people who are still holding on to hope that maybe they could recover some of the profits, that was it. It's like, no, this this doesn't even exist anymore. You're getting... If you haven't got it by now, you're getting nothing back. But that's <clears> the, the vein through all of this. Mm. Hope, including the names of the ships. Just being dashed. But that was, that was the whole thing. No, no, hope was the cause of all the suffering. Mm-hmm. Well, that and the famine. No, they, they were secondary <laughs> to we can live this perfect life. How dare they want to better themselves. William Patterson. Died. Who directly helped to found the Bank of England and indirectly helped to create the United Kingdom of Great Britain. Died in 1719 at the age of around 61. Still suffering from the effects of the ill-fated expedition, he had worked so hard and convinced so many people to make happen. Amazingly, it is believed that despite everything, his burial was allowed to take place in Scotland. Though to be fair, only just in Scotland, 30 miles across the border in the village of New Abbey in Dumfries and Galloway, his home county. And that is the story of how one man's optimism killed so many people. Bankrupted a country... And indirectly led to the Act of Union. Is it, uh, it's the greatest disaster that the Scots have probably ever faced as a country. And it was entirely created by one one bloke. It was brutal. Hmm. Do they celebrate him now? No. He's not no, a hero he, anymore. He's not celebrated as a hero. Of course not. I mean, he, he in England, he's just remembered as one of the guys who helped set up the Bank of England. Hey, And then he went and did some other stuff. And the sauce. Mayonnaise. With Tabasco relish. The Darien Disaster by John Preble. 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 And, I mean, it has so much more. I really streamlined this story. There is so much infighting. There is so many people who are just out for it themselves. And even, you know that idea of the fiddling while Rome burns? It's just a ton of fiddlers. Everything... <laughs> Everyone is like, yes, but I want to have this power and I want to be able to do this. And it's like, everyone's dead. And you're arguing over who gets to rearrange the corpses. Please, guys. Bit of perspective. Ton of fiddlers. I, I, I think... That's the name of this... Ton of fiddlers. Yeah, that's that's going to be the tagline, yeah. A ton of fiddlers. I think that's pretty much what the settlers thought about all yeah. the captains and uh, directors and stuff. There's just a ton of fucking fiddlers. <laughs> and here's me slaving away rum drunk weighing three stone wet through being forced to try and build a church because at one point they needed to build a church because they brought priests we'll build you a church a completely superfluous structure that yes it serves a purpose but probably not top of the list that was intense for me Joe (laughs) It's like I haven't got that muscle trained. Hi there, it's Emma, Chief Organiser at Consistently Eccentric. Here to remind you all that if you like what you hear, you can catch up with all previous episodes and session series by searching for us on Acast, Spotify and iTunes. How fancy. 
You can also join us on Instagram at Consistently Eccentric Podcast, where we update on the weekly episode and post all of our bonus content for you lucky lot. See you next week.